Hey, well, uh, I haven't really shared this much about myself, but I was a banker for the majority of my life. I actually went to school. Uh, well, initially I went to school to become uh, a veterinarian, uh, but then I was told there was too many veterinarians and I should consider something else. And I was really good with, um, well, I'm, I'm really good with analytical thinking, seeing patterns. So I went into business, uh, accounting and eventually I found accounting so boring, uh, economics, because I found economics to be very similar to philosophy. And I'll also tell you, uh, when I was in school, this is how much has changed. When I was in school, I developed um, an algorithm before it was a thing uh, that allowed us, and it's still being used today, allowed you to predict, well, it was being used uh, my understanding is it's not being used as much anymore, especially since the pandemic, because it's really thrown things for a loop. But I developed this uh, algorithm that charted historical trends and current uh, news and that, because you used to be able to track things like when a war broke out, you know, price of gold would go up, oversimplification, yes. But then when they started doing after-hours trading, and um, trust me, uh, I was a, a stockbroker with a bank not just a financial planner and a stockbroker. I was I had all the letters after my name. And uh, my job was to keep people from doing these stupid mistakes. Like I, an example I give is a young lady. She had $26,000. This was probably about 25 years ago. It was, an, it was a good bit of money. I mean, you could have lived a couple of years on that at the time. She had $26,000 and that's all she had. And she wanted to put it all into gold. Now, at the time, this was um, uh, a couple uh, financial crises ago. It wasn't a bad idea. I think it was the Gulf War, actually, the first Gulf War, and gold went up. It was the beginning of when gold went up and stayed up, and it was about $260 an ounce. The reason why I understood this is I came from northern Ontario, and my father was a gold miner, and I myself held the prospector's license when I was young and did prospecting. I was actually looking to make money on aggregate, uh, but that's another story. Gold wasn't a great investment. It was more expensive uh, to pull it out of the ground than it was uh, valued on the market. But then the boom in electronics and computers and then, you know, wars and it changed. And now gold is once again an asset, right? It used to be $260 an ounce. And within a year, it was over a thousand. It was crazy. She would have made a ton of money, but I wasn't allowed to, for her to make that mistake because it was far too risky, right? What she should have done is invest in, and I told her this, and she didn't. She went somewhere else, and someone, I'm sure, let her do it. But what she should have done was uh, diversify the portfolio and hedge her risk. So, of course, she could buy and recommend it might be 30% max, technically, in this case, for something like gold we probably wouldn't have gone that far it's usually an asset class so precious metals even would be too broad 30 percent precious metals in your portfolio is a lot um but as a class an asset class so you could consider um commodities or uh, gold gold mine stocks uh, the refinery stocks i mean that sort of stuff could be considered all within the asset class so i mean i talked to her about looking at resource funds but there wasn't much at the time right i was trading right uh, mutual funds as well segregated funds and these funds had very little offer 
uh, to our customers. In fact, the uh, the natural resources or what we would call um, uh, precious metals funds uh, were oh, wow, like losing twenty percent, twenty six percent. You know, so I mean, I couldn't prepare for her a portfolio that on paper would look like it would make money because yes, with the world burning, you can kind of predict that people are going to hedge with gold, but fast forward to here. So what none of these bankers foresaw was cryptocurrency. And I go back to when it was first invented and I'll be honest with you, most bankers don't even uh, know what central banking is. So not to go into it too much, but uh, we essentially uh, work for our own money and uh, are lent our own money. And it's a form of hegemony, control, right? But that's not the control that cryptocurrency was meant to... Uh, to change. It was uh, thinking small at first. It wanted to change a hegemony that was causing, costing humans millions, if not trillions of dollars a year. So as a banker in Canada, we have a great system. America is pretty good. You know, UK, I mean, you're sending money. It's not easy, but you can send money. But what do you do to countries that don't have a central banking system uh, the way that we do in the sense that you know, everyone has access to banking and financing and funding and all this jazz. If you need to send, forget about exchange rate and all that jazz and exchange risk. And, you know, just say if you're sending asset, I mean, how do you do that? So cryptocurrency wanted to make this simpler, you know, cut out the middleman kind of in a way. Uh, the idea was instead of some of these companies taking 30% simply for sending money overseas that, I mean, there's no need for them to charge what they're charging. It's just absolute avarice. They could do it for a fraction because in every other, like, I mean, banks, I, I worked at a bank. We made a fortune on wire transfers and they were nowhere near the cost of Western Union. We charged maybe 3% at a maximum and the bank relied on those profits. That's how much money was to be made. Imagine when they're charging 30% just to send this money overseas. So in comes cryptocurrency, and I saw the potential, huge potential to, uh, to completely change the industry because I saw not just, the, not just the potential to save people sending money overseas, but I saw what eventually tried to happen where there was these small little finance operations helping people in small countries to access uh, credit and funding. But I, what I really saw was an asset class that was outside of uh, this hegemony that we find ourselves in under the central banking system that uh, you could do with your money as you chose. I mean, you can see today the digitization of finance in no small part has been for tracking and control. Same reason why they have full control over the monetary system. So let's just talk about cryptocurrency. Someone did a little video and they said, is cryptocurrency a pyramid scheme? I love this. This is one of the first times I've heard someone publicly say this. I've been saying this for near 20 years since the very beginning, because almost at the very beginning, cryptocurrency, instead of being what it meant, uh, was intended for, used as intended, like when they bought the first pizza, instead of being used 
as a means of exchange, they use that same first purchase to uh, scare people out of actually using it as a means of exchange. And as I said in my response, as a banker, I saw the potential to not just subvert the money transferring industry, but also to subvert the entire banking industry as, like I said, uh, being a predator on the consumer, not uh, service, which, which is pretty, it's pretty rampant nowadays that uh, they're making profit on the individual and they don't need to, right? All these banks could very easily offer most of the day-to-day banking for free or near free because they're making so much money on all the backend stuff. But they don't because they have this hegemony. They have full and utter control, government-sanctioned control. So in steps cryptocurrency, which should be able to step outside of this. But no. As a banker, how would I have subverted cryptocurrency? I would have turned it into a speculation vehicle, as they have done. So instead of this fixed value asset that you can get for a dollar and send to someone else and they can convert back to their own uh, denomination value, you have something that by the time you purchase it, it may be worth less than what you paid for it. And never mind by the time you pay for something with it and the retailer then converts it back to their currency so that they can pay their bills. Because again, Cryptocurrency is not uh, accepted widely enough to be used uh, as a means of exchange. But again, that's why we thought it would work great as simply transferring money, say, from North America to, say, Africa. But that can't be done if you send $10,000 and by the time the people uh, can access it, the audience, the receiver... By the time they open the envelope, it's worth half that. Absolutely no longer even viable for its original intention. So that's why I have my own, and and I'm not going to hang on to it here because, I mean, uh, like I've said before, I'm so severely dyslexic. There's no way I'm going to get this into fruition. So what I suggest to anybody with the wherewithal is create a cryptocurrency that actually has two coins. So it has an exchange coin and it has a speculation coin. So as the coin begins to reach adoption, right, as exchange, right, it's worth one. It's always worth one, one, that's it, worth one. The speculation, as it succeeds, will get more valuable, right? Because what you can do is you can make it an investment. So, uh, giving money to this coin will actually help the planet and help people and help wealth in our third world countries and help people be able to transfer funds back and forth. So investing and holding the speculation version would actually help others and produce profit. But at the same time, not only will it not impinge on the exchange portion of the coin, it would actually help to advertise and encourage adoption. So again, the idea is to have two tied coins. One is strictly for exchange. The other is strictly riding on the success and adoption of the cryptocurrency. So what we'll do is, again, they have these, um, what do you call it? Transaction fees, just like in mutual funds. We call them loads, front end loads, back end loads. So what you can call them 
is and set them up in the same sort of way as a load. So when you buy cryptocurrency, you can have a little little vig attached to it so that we can encourage platforms to do the exchange again, right? You can't do it all yourself. So you leave a little bit of a vig in there for them, but not a huge one. Again, we're talking smaller than even a wire transfer and we win. Everyone wins. So there's lots of room in there. I think Bitcoin has gotten way up there and the time to do the transaction has just gotten crazy. So again, when the exchange coin is separated from the speculation coin, these transactions should be near instantaneous. So with fees being charged on the purchase and maybe on the exchange, um, it easily would support the platform, right? Arguably, we can even look at uh, requiring green technology. It's not like it used to be 30 years ago. It's not that hard to find a server. In fact, I'm about to get myself one for a couple of years and it runs wholly on um, a carbon neutral sort of platform, right? Not only is it not producing uh, greenhouse gases and damaging the environment, it's actually negative impact. So this idea of benefit and not just stripping profit from everything, this crypto coin would solve the problem of what we're looking at. Cryptocurrency everywhere is nothing but a speculation vehicle. So it's only going to cause heartbreak because the only people that are going to win are the people that don't have a heart, <laughs> right? The ones that hold and just don't care about anyone else. So I'd watch out for that. And in the meantime, why don't you create a very special cryptocurrency that, um, what could we call it? We could call it the non-dual coin or, you know, Dharma coin. That's not bad, actually. The Satvic coin, you know. This idea that um, it's driven by, see, it's crazy because it blows my mind that people don't realize that profit and compassion don't need to be um, separate. Right? You can actually produce um, utility in this world uh, for profit, and that uh, can can be compassion and um, a market. Right? I mean, I never understood why this hasn't come about. It could be, of course, greed as the idea. But there still could be just as much money to be made in this idea. Because if you look at some of these other cryptocurrencies, the biggest uh, critique is where is their value? It's just an agreed upon value. I love, I've been to Bitcoin meetings, these groups, and they, they deride uh, FIF coin. So I mean, FIF uh, currency or, you know, our normal type of currency, paper money as just being this, you know, agreed upon asset. But that's exactly what Bitcoin is, and arguably even less so, because it has nothing behind it backing it. I mean, tomorrow, Bitcoin or any of the other coins could drop to zero in value, and there's nothing to stop it. So that's why I argue having a speculation vehicle gives these fear of missing out people, a place to put their money, has all of these greed, avarice monsters, these hungry ghosts, a place to put their money. But by um, taking advantage of their greed and avarice and their fear of missing out and wanting to jump on the bandwagon, 
we can actually do the intended business of helping third world countries access capital. I don't know what else to say. Don't invest in cryptocurrency, invest in compassion.